Welcome to the Glass Half Empty podcast on the big lead. I'm Ryan Glasspiegel. We're joined today by NBA agent Todd Ramazar. Todd is the founder of Life Sports Media and Entertainment. Todd, we really appreciate you have you coming on. Can you give our audience a sense of who your clients are and what your firm does? Yeah, Ryan, first of all, thank you for having me on uh, the show. And, um, and yeah, my, in terms of my clients uh, in the NBA, you know, uh, Pascal Siakam, uh, who was just uh, named a starter to the All-Star team in the Eastern Conference, you know, Thomas Bryant of uh, the Washington Wizards, uh, Kevon Looney of um, the Golden State Warriors, uh, Shaq Harrison with the Chicago Bulls, and also Paul Watson of the Toronto Raptors. You mentioned Siakam. So that's got to be one of the most gratifying moments of your career where he is a late first round pick. So you're expecting him to be in the league a while, but on his second contract, he signs a four year, $130 million max extension with the Raptors. What does that feel like to find a player like that, see him improve so dramatically and be rewarded with the biggest contract that the team can possibly give him? It's it's gratifying, Ryan, but, you know, the potential was always there in Pascal since day one. Uh, you know, I kind of, uh, when I talk about Pascal or even uh, uh, speak to him, he's been the perfect case study of um, doing everything right and uh, everything right both on and off the court, you know, during the season and off season. And to be honest with you, you need a little bit of luck on your side too because uh, the Raptors have been great. Uh, partner as well in terms of um, in terms of his development uh, there under their watch uh, as well as ours. Is there any way that you can give me a pie chart on what percentage of a player's success or lack thereof is attributable to his individual effort and talents and what percentage is just the luck that you mentioned of going to an organization with great ownership, GM, coach, teammates, et cetera? I almost want to split that pie uh, uh, equally in three parts, uh, right? Which, uh, which is player, uh, player and, and representation, I'll put in one uh, part of that, a uh, third of the pie, uh, NBA team as the other third, and then another third is luck. Um, because young players, when they come into this league, what we often forget is that they're young men uh, and young athletes. And um, just like anybody else, they're still finding themselves, you know, away from basketball and, and essentially in life. So uh, just like any other young individual's, uh, as I always say, you're a product. Uh, you're a product of your environment. So if a young player uh, gets with a franchise that believes in them, invests in them, and there's a great locker room of veteran players that are around them, uh, that's a recipe uh, for that player's success. In addition to their uh, development, uh, both during the season under the watch of the team, and in Pascal's case. Uh, with us, it was uh, a development plan that was put into place uh, starting during pre-draft uh, that was going to enhance his skill level uh, based on uh, the attributes that he already uh, exhibited. 
Can you walk me through how you go about identifying somebody like Siakam as a player that you want to represent and then how you wind up communicating with that with him and eventually signing him to a representation deal? Yeah, I think, um, you know, everyone is different. And uh, when I say everyone is every agent is different. Uh, every player is unique. So the approach is different based on their individual needs. And at least for me, what I'm seeing, when I'm evaluating a player, um, I'm evaluating them based on obviously their, uh, their skill set on the floor, but also what their potential is going in this case from college to the pros. And it, it's not uh, necessarily just my opinion. It's, it's really looking at what's trending in the NBA. For example, right now we're, uh, we're in an era of the NBA where, uh, you know, players have to be versatile on both sides of the ball. They have to uh, offensively, even as bigs, be able to stretch the floor and do some things that otherwise, say, 10 years ago or further out, uh, 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 frontcourt players weren't necessarily asked to do. So when I'm evaluating a player, say, for example, Pascal, I was looking at his size. I was looking at his length. I was looking at his athleticism. I was looking at his touch in the paint. I was looking at him shooting free throws because in his offense, uh, he wasn't asked to shoot uh, jump shots or extend, uh, you know, extend his range from 18 feet out to, uh, uh, to three point range. But there's little signs that you can see in a young player uh, to see what their potential is. And then, away from the game when you're having a, at least for me, having a conversation uh, with an athlete is, you know, what's their willingness to uh, listen uh, to what advice uh, I'm sharing, uh, I'm sharing with them. Um, Are they giving eye contact? What's their body language? How do they communicate with their coach during a timeout or during the game in terms of uh, body language? Uh, can they make adjustments? You know, what's their overall basketball IQ? And then once I get them into our, our gym with our, um, with our uh, coaches, you know, it's seeing how quickly they're able to adapt to information being thrown at them, uh, no different than it would be thrown to them at an NBA game. And, and for Pascal, he checked all those boxes. And, um, and he's been a pleasure to work with because, as I mentioned earlier, he's, uh, he's a perfect case study in terms of, you know, listening and uh, and putting in the work. Uh, I don't think it's rocket science from that standpoint. Over the last 20 years about, you've worked under two of the legendary agents in the business and Arne Tellum and Bill Duffy, and now you're out on your own. Was there a moment maybe in your 20s or even in your 30s where it hit you and you felt, okay, I'm doing this. I'm on solid ground in this business. You know what? No, um, I, I've always had entrepreneurial roots in terms of my uh, my parents being entrepreneurs and owning their businesses over 40 years. So I was uh, I was never afraid to actually go out and try something and potentially fail to learn and get better. You know, it, it's one of those things when I look back in my career in hindsight, and I think um, uh, Coach Steve Lavin, who was my coach at, at UCLA, um, that actually uh, set up the internship at the time with Arn Tellum uh, after my sophomore year in college because 
looking back in hindsight, it's like it was an amazing time because, you know, I was in that office with Aaron, who's who's obviously, uh, you know, his footprint in uh, in this business, uh, you know, not too many agents could speak on, if if any, and uh, even what he's doing with the Detroit Pistons. But in that office was, you know, Bob Myers, who's now, you know, the Golden State Warriors general manager. Uh, he was also a UCLA uh, basketball alum. You know, Rob Palenka. Uh, who's the general manager of uh, the Lakers, you know, uh, the player development at the time during pre-draft I was helping was Neil O'Shea, who's now the general manager of uh, the Portland Trailblazers. And our overseas um, uh, agent was uh, Warren Laguerre, who owns uh, the Las Vegas Summer League or co-owns it with the NBA now and also represents front office executives. So it was a special time. Uh, those three years, just being in that environment, uh, especially with um, some of the players that Arn had represented, and um, you know, like Tracy McGrady or Kobe Bryant, as well as some other uh, All Stars at the time. Um, so it was great being in that environment. And then later on, with Bill um, and his uh, international clientele, Steve Nash and Yao Ming, you know, um, seeing how uh, international players and uh, opportunities present itself differently than say, you know, American or domestic players. Uh, but I, even now in this business, I'm, I never look at it as like being on solid ground because my overall uh, perspective on just business is business is changing so quickly now in the environment that we're in, in any industry that you're, you're at. So for me to say I've been comfortable, I, I never want to feel like I'm comfortable because you're, I'm always having to adapt to the industry as well as uh, adapt to my clientele. Because as I get older, smarter, and hopefully better, uh, my clientele still stays within that age range of anywhere between, you know, 18 to 35 years old. And then uh, after 35, they're looking at retirement. And, um, and obviously, uh, you build a close relationship with guys when they transition out of plane, but for the most part, my core base is within, within that age range. You mentioned playing for Steve Lavin at UCLA. One of your teammates, Baron Davis, became your first really big client. How did you land him? I think, how did I land him? It was a conversation. It was, uh, I was in law school at the time at Southwestern Law, uh, in Los Angeles, and um, Baron had um, well, Baron was with the Charlotte Hornets at the time, and um, he had a manager that was helping him out, um, kind of keep stay organized. But they were transitioning where he needed a new manager. So uh, I got a call, and um, uh, he had asked if uh, if I'd be open to managing him that first semester of law school. And what uh, quickly happened is, uh, you know, Baron was the type that would give my business card out to anybody who would come across or, you know, anything that he was interested in pursuing. And quickly I was doing uh, marketing deals and establishing relationships uh, with some of his existing partners and then establishing uh, new partnerships uh, with some, um, some fortune 500 brands. Uh, so, uh, after my second semester of law school, we were on a tour with Reebok at the time because Baron was a Reebok athlete um, uh, at that at that time, and um, and Baron asked me to uh, be his representative. So 
I think it was August of uh, 2003. I just turned uh, 23 uh, years old. I was uh, representing Barron. And um, obviously, we were teammates at UCLA. We were friends. So it was a different dynamic than, say, uh, agent and uh, client. It was more of a partnership. And it was great. Um, you know, uh, it was a great experience uh, starting off in the business, being that close to a client and, you know, helping execute uh, to have their vision, you know, come to life in terms of how they foresaw uh, their career. This is a random aside, but he has one of the best beards of the last 50 years. His combination of length and the fact that it's always perfectly manicured is really enviable. But I don't want to ask about that. I do want to ask about uh, you got him in early with vitamin water and he got some equity in the brand. That, that was kind of a revolutionary idea at the time where a lot of marketing deals with athletes were done where it was just kind of a transactional relationship. We pay you, you endorse us. And then when the partnership ends, we go on our way. But then vitamin water got acquired by Coca-Cola for several billion dollars. So can you walk me through the thought process and just general negotiations of getting him points in the company? Yeah. It, it was um, uh, obviously uh, timing is everything because um, I, it was really one of uh, the first deals, if not the first deal, uh, at least I know in, in, in the NBA where a player uh, saw equity uh, in, a, in a brand that, as you mentioned, Ryan, that got later acquired at a, uh, a much greater multiple than when we, we got into that deal. And um, it started with a relationship at uh, Sprite, uh, which was obviously Coca-Cola. One of the executives had just, I, I had a relationship and so did Darren with that executive. And, and they were uh, transitioning over to this company out of New York uh, that was called Glasso. And uh, they were formulating, uh, you know, their product uh, or their beverage called the vitamin water. And um, I think at the time they were in five markets. And, um, you know, when he transitioned over, he sent some product to us and I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> right? Initially I was like, this doesn't taste very good. Cause <laughs> you know, the, 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 that market in terms of, uh, performance beverages or, or I guess you could say, um, you know, vitamins in the water, um, a, a healthy alternative was in some ways dominated by Gatorade at the time. And so, um, when we tried it, it wasn't great. But the, the executive was like, just be patient. We're formula, we're reformulating. We're going to come out with different flavors, and we're going to slowly expand. And, um, and we're still great friends to this day. It's, his name is Matt Kahn, a uh, great uh, uh, marketing executive. But um, long story short, uh, that's what slowly happened. They reformulated the product. It started tasting better. They started introducing different flavors. And... You know, the thing that was most impressive, it wasn't, it wasn't just the product itself in terms of the packaging that was different and, and kind of authentic um, uh, in so many different ways at that time. When, you, when we decided to invest and in, in establish an even greater uh, uh, partnership with the brand is if you met Bill and Darius Baikoff 
who were the founders of uh, of, uh, of Glasso, and then you met some of the executives there who now are the founders of Body Armor or Pop Chips and and other great brands out there. It was a special time for Glasso. They picked the Bicos picked the perfect executives or the perfect team to really dig in and, and take Glasso to the to the point where they were acquired uh, by Coca Cola. And um, at least for us to be there at that time, and it, and it takes a unique athlete like Baron, uh, because if anyone knows Baron, Baron is, you know, in a lot of ways similar to what we saw from Magic Johnson or, or LeBron James, what we've seen from LeBron James, is very charismatic, a chameleon that has his hands in, in so many different industries or areas in, in music and fashion, you know, in sports and politics. Um, and you see him everywhere. And for Glasso, he was a he was a, a very good partner, uh, similar to the time as Fifty Cent and Jennifer Aniston and and um, and some other athletes or celebrities, where Baron um, added value to the brand because he could he, he gave them exposure in different industries that otherwise maybe the brand wouldn't have necessarily had exposure in um in urban america or in music or in hip-hop culture whatever the case may be so it, it it turned out great and we see what the end result is that that's really fascinating um i'm very interested in all of that stuff i'm wondering over your trajectory of your career has there ever been a really major setback where you questioned if this was what you still wanted to do and if so how did you overcome it yeah, Ryan. I mean, honestly, Ryan, to say once, it was multiple times, multiple, multiple times. Um, I questioned whether I wanted to be in this business. And it wasn't, um, you know, what I eventually relied on, uh, you know, is, is faith. I still rely on faith um, because, you know, in, in, in light of uh, in light of the recent passing of, of Kobe Bryant and you and you. I don't want to quote quote Kobe, but it's it's interesting to you know see all this content on him coming out coming out and get his perspective. But when you really hear about what he was talking about the Mamba mentality, for me, if you distill it down, it's just faith in oneself. Like you just have to stick with it and put the work in. And um, and life experiences for me and business and even personal experiences have helped out to mold, uh, you know, myself as a, as a better agent, uh, or even a better executive in terms of building the company, because I think for any entrepreneur that's building a business to say that it's easy or there, it's not a roller coaster ride, I think, uh, wouldn't be telling the truth to be honest with you. It's like, I look at it as a roller coaster ride, as long as it's ascending in that direction, in terms of that roller coaster ride, then you're moving in the right direction, which you have to keep moving. And, um, for me, it's a, it's also about being much more efficient and realistic with what my strengths and weaknesses are. So my strengths, you know, obviously I want to build a business around my strengths, but my weaknesses is being honest with what they are and then addressing the weaknesses with, um, you know, other staff or, or um, you know, other strategic partnerships, uh, partnerships that could address those those weaknesses to make the overall company better. Um, I've always, I've always enjoyed being a part of the team and kind of deferring credit and, 
and um, and everyone, um, you know, uh, growing together and, and incentivizing it from a culture standpoint. So the journey to this point has been great. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I know there's a lot more, you know, to come, but all those experiences in the past, whether they, they were with Baron, for example, are um, only helping me be a, a greater agent for Pascal or any other client um, that I'm representing uh, now or in the future. As a marketing and sponsorship guy, are there any brands or trends that you think people who are interested in business should look out for just kind of on the cusp of exploding? Oh, that's a great question, Ryan. You know, there's a, I think there's, at least for me, my overall for my clients in, in, a, in, it's all relative to what you're doing in marketing, right? For, for me as an agent is I'm building individual brands based on my clients. And, and again, we want those brands to be very authentic uh, to the audience, to the fans, to the consumers that our clients may be selling to. And you have to be very thoughtful and strategic in, in making sure that one, at least for me, my athletes are on board with it and, and, and again, because they're young, they're still figuring out who they are. Um, so in, in short, I guess to answer your question, Ryan, is like for me, the, even this morning, I'm reading about 5G. I'm also paying attention to media rights in the sports leagues, right? And you have the, the Googles with YouTube and Amazon and Facebook that are going to be um, – going to be vying for those media rights in the future. Well, we'll if there's see a bidding if they'll war, vie for them. They haven't really vied for them yet, and they've had the opportunity. Everyone keeps saying they're going to vie for them. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I think it's good for everybody in this industry if they do vie for it, but we'll see. Well, right, and, and not to go, go down that road on a tangent, but, you know, I, I, I again, believe timing is everything, and, and Lord knows because I don't know. But what signs I do know is that five, we're on the precipice of 5G. And 5G, once we get that technology in our cell phones, it's that much more valuable to stream live sports if Google or, or Amazon or Facebook own that, which is data for them, right? So, um, you know, we already know, at least for the NBA, uh, you know, ESPN Turner, that what that deal is worth for the NBA. I guess my point I'm going down is we know that it's going to be a lot more, a lot more valuable, uh, or that that media rights deal is going to be a lot more valuable in the future. Um, also, in terms of content, I think uh, content is always going to be king, uh, but it's also going to be, you know, for fans that are consuming all that sports content. As at least in the NBA, uh, athletes are becoming more celebrities. It's just being more thoughtful about you know, the content that's being created and then what platforms uh, that content is being distributed uh, distributed at. And then um, also with uh, a company with, with just social media overall and the visibility is I think we're just going to see more and more athletes uh, own the brands that they're endorsing, no different than celebrities. Because I've always, you know, I've always looked at um, whatever happens in uh, in entertainment in the entertainment industry, sports lags maybe three to five years behind. And what I mean by that is like, if you look at what's happening in entertainment, whether it's the Kardashians, 
whether it's um, a, some you know musicians or a Kanye West or whatever the case may be, they're owning a lot more brands that they're pushing out on their social platforms or on their own platforms that they own. And I'm, I'm seeing that trend, whether it's LeBron James, whether it's the Ball family, uh, whether it's uh, Tom Brady, uh, you're seeing these athletes getting a lot more sophisticated in terms of uh, their brand partnerships and, and, and who and what they're endorsing. This is, this is a hard turn, but I wanted to talk about the NBA collective bargaining agreement. This is kind of one of my pet opinions, but everybody really decries the super teams and doesn't like when the superstars team up with each other. And my solution for that, if the owners don't want it, then they should abolish the max contract because it's one thing for LeBron, Wade, and Bosch to each sacrifice a couple million dollars a year each to team up on the heat when they know that the um, legacy benefits are going to outweigh that in the long run. It's another thing if James Dolan could offer LeBron James $70 million a year. And I don't think that the players would max caliber players would be teaming up with each other if the owners could really pay them what um, their more true market worth is. So Ryan, you're saying your your theory is if if uh, teams are if you remove the cap on uh, or remove the max salary and a player is actually compensated for their worth, then um, then uh, that that team that pays that player, you you would actually cause more. Uh, I guess you could say parity in the league. Yeah, parity because I, I don't. Make sure you, would, you you would never see a time where 2011. Uh, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade are on the same team if there were no inherent constraint of a max contract. That's what I'm saying. Well, Ryan, that's the thing. If if you recall, some of those players sacrificed their max contract to make the numbers work. But it, but uh, it was a very well. it was an insignificant amount. I mean, they they each I don't even remember the exact amount. But I'm saying if it was the difference between they each made like LeBron made sixty million a year and Wade made fifty million a year, but they have to be on different teams, or they could play on the same team if they each made forty million a year. If they got rid of the max, the the amount that a team would play would pay the true elite players would make it so much different, so much of a difference making amount that I don't think that they would wind up sacrificing the money to team up. That's what I'm saying. You know, it, it, that could be a possibility in terms of in terms of your theory, but and I'm and I'm playing devil's advocate now, Ryan. There's so many different things or, that impact a player and the market they go to as well that doesn't get uh, uh, talked about a lot. So, you know, for, for example, we're saying it's an insignificant amount on paper, but we can't forget that Miami is located in Florida that has no state tax. So that amount that they're saving not only on their, uh, on their uh, player contract, but to potentially on their 1099 income, their endorsement income, could be a significant overtime. The second thing is, you know, in sports, for a player to elevate themselves to elite status, like the, 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 the top of their sport or, the, or to the point where they transcend sports, is you have to be a winner. 
You have to win championships. And LeBron, as great as he was in Cleveland, didn't get to the level that we talk about him today unless he goes to Miami and wins those championships with Dwayne and Chris Bosh. Dwayne was already a champion, but Chris Bosh and LeBron didn't have that. And I, and I say it no different than Steph Curry in Golden State or Kobe uh, when he was in uh, with the Lakers or Magic Johnson with the Lakers. Like You have to win championships because championships in itself equals greater income off the court. Because as you know, Ryan, people want to associate themselves with with winners. If, if look at Pat Mahomes, uh, what I could, uh, what they're talking about on his next uh, NFL contract, uh, let alone what his endorsement income is. So, could it happen? Could they get paid more money? Yes, on paper or or initially. But if they go to a small market, or they go to a market where they're getting more money from their NBA contract, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate for more money if you aggregate all the money that they're making as athletes because they may not be winning championships or have the same visibility. And we could factor in social media and some other things where they're saying small markets, um, you know, play athletes are benefiting from being small markets still because of social media. I'm still a big believer. When you're in those hot markets, those big markets, and you're winning, it's very hard to um, it's very hard to duplicate anywhere else in 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 small to medium sized markets. Point taken. I want to get you out of here on this. I know you're really busy. Earlier, you mentioned um, the exposure internationally to Yao Ming and uh, Steve Nash when you were working under Bill Duffy. What is your craziest Yao Ming story? <laughs> I don't even know if I could I could share this one, but I, I'll come just come on, uh, come on. We've been, we've been having a chat. You got to share it. Oh my God! It's just you know I I'll tell you we were in uh, I want to say it was 2007. We were um, we were in Beijing. We we're at uh, the the Steve Nash Yao Ming uh, charity event, and it was uh, Yao Ming in China. If anybody doesn't know, it was like the Beatles had just arrived. It was mayhem everywhere we went, and um, you know, the athletes that participate is Baron, you know, Baron Davis, you know, Rajon Rondo, uh, Carmelo Anthony. I mean, it was, it was a phenomenal group of athletes that went there to participate. And because it was done so well and promoted great, there were just thousands of fans in the street or whatever the case may be. And, and Yao transcends as being an athlete in China, he's, he's more of just like this, he's a celebrity, but he's a diplomat. And, you know, for cultural, uh, for those reasons, as well as cultural, um, we went to an after party or there was an after party event set up or a post game event set up for all the athletes. And it was first class and it was on a rooftop in Beijing. It was beautiful in terms of the hospitality and, and, uh, the optics and just everything. And, uh, you know, all the athletes and, and, uh, and everyone that participated were, was having a great time. And Yao shows up with the security team. And it was just like the whole place kind of exploded uh, when Yao showed up. Uh, so um, when Yao was there, I, you know, everyone started ch- chanting the Yao Ming song, right? And I'm not I – don't, I don't have a voice, Ryan, so don't, don't put me on the spot to try to uh, – <laughs> to uh to do the chant but i mean it it got loud with that chant until um 
until Yao did something for, for, for the crowd in which once he did it, uh, the, the whole rooftop literally exploded. And by the time camera phones, uh, this was right when camera phones were coming out, people were taking out their camera phones. I've never seen someone, regardless of size, get out of there so quickly. It was almost like he vanished in thin air, but he was out quick. And that, for me, that, that's what was crazy. The confiscation, uh, confiscation of, uh, of the cell phones, <laughs> erasing of pictures, and everything else. So uh, he just—he did not uh, want this to turn into a viral moment. Correct. If even going viral like that, I think just having that image anywhere out there just just wasn't good. But I'll just say, you know, alcohol was flowing. It was a great time. It was a celebration. Uh, uh, quite a bit of money was raised for uh, the initiative and it was, it was a great time. And, you know, I don't want to say I'll segue kind of into, you know, what's going on in China right now with the coronavirus and um, what, you know, beginning of the season, you know, um, I guess you could say the tension with the NBA China is anybody hasn't gone there. Uh, the people are beautiful the country is really uh, great. And, and not to say that it's perfect uh, because no country is perfect, but it was an amazing experience. That was my first time there. I've, I've been there numerous times since, but it was, uh, it was phenomenal. And uh, there was a great energy in, in, in Beijing uh, during that time, as well as Shanghai and, and some other places that I visited uh, in recent past. So, uh, but that was that was probably the craziest Yao Ming story. In addition to him getting into a, a luxury size uh, 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 car sedan, I think it was an A8 extended version. Uh, to see him get into the passenger seat and have his knees almost touching his head—that is a, <laughs> a, a gigantic human being, uh, to say the least. And it's uh, it, it was kind of amusing. Uh, to see uh, to see him kind of step into that vehicle and ride off. So, but I, I would really like to yeah. witness him vanishing into a crowd at some point because he does not want um, social videos taken of him. That is like quite an imagery to just have in your head, and I can actually almost imagine it because if you're somebody of that stature, you have to like know how to get out of dodge. Anyways, this has been the Glass Half Empty podcast on the big lead. We were lucky enough to be joined by Todd Ramazar, founder of Life Sports Media and Entertainment, NBA agent. Um, check out his work going forward. Thank you again, Todd. Hope to do this again down the road. Likewise, Ryan. Thanks for having me on, and uh, you guys have a great week.